Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Amen. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue in our sermon series in the explicit lyrics of the faith, we come to a hot topic right now, inside and outside of the church, sexuality. And as Christians, we believe that the Lord calls us, as we will see in the Bible, to sexual holiness and sexual healing. This is a topic that is touchy, to say the least, as we are forced in it to struggle with the delicate complexities of love and humanity and civil rights and gender. And with the recent legalization of same-sex marriage and the emergence of the LGBT community's fight for equality, respect, and rights, not only in the broader society, but in the church, you have to wonder whether the same old answers will suffice in what I would describe as a new world sexual order. Seeking to find hope and healing for our own sexual brokenness. Believers, especially in this day and age, must not hoard or hold God's grace from the world for themselves. We are called to share with the world hope and help for sexual holiness and sexual healing. I want to let you know this morning that this message is a teaser, if you will. We're going to be doing a deeper teaching and te deeper discussion series on gender and sexuality um, on Wednesday nights here at our Christ Central Church Midweek Learning Community. And I think that series starts um, Wednesday, um, September 9th. I got that right? And um, I invite you all out. This is a good time for discussion and questions and 
challenge. And I think for us, um, pastors and elders and so-called ministers of the gospel, some real humility and trust in what God says. So with the limited time we have this morning, there are three things I want you to see about God's explicit lyric of sexual holiness and sexual healing. The Bible teaches that our sexuality is first a worship call from the Lord. Secondly, our sexuality is protected by the Lord. And finally, our sexuality is made safe by the Lord alone. One of the most explicitly named movies from the late 90s, don't know if y'all remember, starring young Jamie Foxx and a young Tommy Davidson was the comedy movie that defined an age of casual sexuality, the movie Booty Call. And I just remember uh, almost 20 years later what was funny you know, even in its title, because it was so absurd, has become a norm, right? The, the norm that when it comes to our sexuality, right, that you and I shouldn't and really have to take what we do sexually so seriously, right? So sacredly. Well, the Bible declares that our sexuality is more than and never just a booty call. But our sexuality is... A worship call given by God. A call to worship the Lord with your body. Look what the Bible says here in, in verses starting at the second half at, of verse 13 in chapter 6 here. It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And then look at verses 19 and 20. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God, it says, in your body. The Bible is teaching us that, that believers and those who want to flee from what the Bible calls sexual immorality, and let me give a definition for that, that sexual immorality is the Greek word porneo. It's the same word that we get pornography from, right? It's the word, and it means illicit sexual activity or intercourse, and it is used to declare the sexual acts or describe, rather, the sexual acts associated with adultery, Right? Sexuality outside of marriage or fornication. Um, sexuality, again, um, between people who are not married, right? And it also applies to homosexuality and sex with animals. But you know what else it means? It means worshiping idols. Or worshiping with a mind and heart of idolatry. And so this is the call to, to sexual holiness. And in order for us to live like the Bible is saying, to worship God with our bodies, we, we, it means that we must be diligent, right? That we need to be concerned, that we need to be sobered, that we need to be purposeful, anything but casual about what we do sexually. 
Because the Bible is saying we want to do, right, or, or not do sexually what is glorifying is, as verse 20 says, to the Lord. Glorify means to do what is pleasing, to do what and how God wants according to the Bible for us to do and not do with our bodies sexually. But sexuality is more than physical. Look at verse 15 with me. Do you not know? that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Now we'll flesh out this verse a little bit more in a minute. But back in the day when this letter was written, there was temple worship that involved sleeping with temple prostitutes. And remember that sexuality, sexual immorality also means a, a idol worship too. It, it, it is trying to say that sexuality being about temple worship, right? It was more than just a hookup, right? It was more, it, it was about linking yourself to a belief system, it, it, to a way of thinking, to a condition of the heart. It revealed who and what God you truly valued and what you truly had a heart and passion for. So God's call to worship is not just skin deep. It's about, it's about worshiping with and because we are driven, right, from the inside out, right, in our sexual thought life, and our sexual belief systems. It is worshiping God with right passions and right desires and right drives from where our heart is demanding what our body sexually is doing. And so, like you have your bulletins in your hand, the words on the overhead, we call it an order of worship, right? The order of our worship, and, and, we, and we order our, and we are called to order our sexuality according to what God has revealed in his word. And when I say order, I don't mean one, two, three, four, what's next? I mean order, like putting in your order for some wings, hot, mild, or super hot, right? Or online for something you want. God has in Scripture put in his divine order for our sexuality. And we must follow that order of worship with our bodies. So it is a call of the Bible on us to learn. And then do and believe. Figure out whether what we are doing and what we are thinking, you know, whether we're in marriage or out of marriage or, or not in marriage, and, and how we see or define our sexuality, whether it is consistent, right, or on par. You know, we have this thing in, um, in, in, in Presbyterian church in particular, we call it the regulative principle of worship. And the regulative principle of worship means that we won't do things in the worship service that scripture doesn't give us the freedom to do. And the Lord has a regulative principle for what we do with our bodies sexually. It is part of our call to worship as human beings, full human beings, sexuality intact in this world. And he explicitly gives us parameters for worshiping in that way. What we do in our bodies and how and why we think about sexuality matters to God. 
and, should, and so should seriously matter to us. But sexual holiness is not just a worship call from God. It is the protection from the Lord for our sexuality. It's interesting to me as I was looking at this topic and getting ready for this sermon as I begin to think about it. Even the most anti-evangelical Christian or, or sexually casual person will agree that sexuality is potent and powerful. I mean, it is in the big three, right? Sex, power, and money. And often where there is one, there is always the other in some way. And we see it here as the apostle has to tell believers of the day, guess what, y'all? Flee and stay away from those prostitutes, especially, you know, stay away from the prostitutes at the temple, right? And what was the temple's key to their outreach ministry? Sex. Why? You know why? Because it was and is a powerful commodity that was used to truly raise the so-called worship experience. The sexual stuff that took place, right, did what only God himself could do better. It provided, it comforted, it took you to another higher place. It, it was escape from yourself and your world. It was false sexualized intimacy for some. It made some people, and it makes some people, for once in their lives, feel love. So they think. So for the prostitutes and the people and the priests, a.k.a. the madams and the pimps of the temple, they use the sexual power to manipulate and lure and trap and exploit the deep needs of people. And the call from God to flee this sexual immorality is a call to protect us. To protect each other from the, the exploitation and the manipulation and the sheer abuse of our bodies and sensitivities and insecurities in this area. Sexuality is such a mercurial, right? Such a central, touching, and sensitive thing. It is always in need of careful, caring protection. It is like a gun or bomb. It needs a safety on it, a combination, a lock, an expert handling it, some training. You, you have to be protective and extremely caring and careful of it. And God is seeking to provide this for us in the biblical parameters he has set for it. And I will let you know what the Bible is saying here when it says flee sexual immorality. It is saying that a spiritual bomb, a, a virus of the heart, right? A, a soul-scarring STD has been released sexually in our lives and world by sin. And get this, a prophylactic or a liberated or freed sexuality or some kind of self-confidence. I can think about the many things people always come with. You know, I, I understand myself and my body. I'm in control. I'm grown. I can do what I want. I'm married now that somehow those things are going to protect us from what God alone can protect us from is a lie. 
Man, the big deal right now. We're married. So it's legal now. We, we can be married. So that purifies everything. That protects us from condemnation. And that protects us from, from, from what the heart damage and, and the sin, pain, and guilt. And the Bible is saying that is not true. Only the parameters God has set on the sexuality of a person and the institutions he's designed for it to be fulfilled in. Only there is their protection. Well, society accepts it, still not enough. Still not the right stuff. Paul is saying here, there, there is God protection for this very potent, powerful, dangerous sometimes, but incredible part of your humanity, humanity. And it is in this potency that we also need God's protection against our broken sexuality's productiveness. What do I mean by that? You know, in biology, probably in junior high for some or high school for the old, us older ones, you had to come to the chapter on the reproductive system. Now I showed you some of the animals inside a human being. Right? They plants and frogs and pigs, whatever. All the pictures, everybody laughing, giggling. And you get into the end result of sex. Another life. I mean, just think about how powerfully productive and reproductive God has made our sexuality. Every single person sitting here today is here because of a sexual act. Look at y'all. <laughs> that stuff really works. God did this. And what's funny, in this church, it really works. Sometimes two or three of y'all be in there at one time. It is incredibly productive and reproductive situation. But this chapter is talking about another, a spiritual production or reproduction caused by sexual immorality. Look at verse 15 through 16 with me again. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And then look at verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. One of the major reasons that there has been a push for so-called protected sex is to prevent unwanted pregnancy, right? Or unwanted diseases. In fact, your prophylactics are all about what? The nicely named 
family planning center at the store, right? And, and, and it's designed to stop things you don't want to happen, right? Or to stop you from becoming a parent, right? Th those sorts of things. The Lord is calling us to flee sexual immorality. He's offering protection against way more than an unwanted pregnancy or disease. He is seeking to protect us against unwanted production of a broken life that is caused by engaging each other, ourselves, and this world with an unchecked sexuality. It says in these scriptures that if and when you and I engage in the sexual immoralities, and it's represented right here, let's, let's use it as a metaphor, right? Represented by going to a prostitute in verse 15. It is saying what? That you will not leave or be the same. Or in that act, you will actually do something in, against your own bodies. The sexuality in its thinking and practice changes us and changes our lives. It produces some powerful good in its right use, but in this case, it produces something in someone in a world that we may not want to be, and we actually become something in someone even beyond our own control. Think about the way sexual abuse has become nuclear the hearts and minds and bodies of people. The vulnerable. Those who were easily exploited and trafficked and abused and prostituted, manipulated and used. Think about our children. Maybe you were a child. Maybe you trusted a family member, a caregiver, a babysitter, you went on a date and didn't know, and the bomb is still going off or easily re-triggered or causing emotional and mental and sexual fallout and deformity and irregularities in your life. You're not the same. And those who do such things, the sexual abuses, whether it's of a child or some sort of rape or date rape, or even, get this, the way we abuse our sexuality with pornography and the objectification of people, we become crazed, right? We become something else. That's why it's impossible to talk about our sexuality as being casual. It is never casual. You always become something. You're always in some way becoming something new. It is always affecting your mind, your heart, your body in some way as you engage in it. I told you it was potent. The Bible's not playing with this stuff. And neither should we. And all of that stuff gets in the way of right sexual production, like being united intimately in secure relationship with, with your husband or your wife, or, 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 or if not married, to have it be something to be offered freely and purely to the Lord alone. It gets in the way of your own view of your worth sometimes. And yet, when we tamper with this stuff, with uninformed, selfish, evil, right, and clumsy hearts and hands, we create and produce and reproduce sometimes for generations. 
Not people, not more children only, but people and children who have a mess of broken sexual problems and issues. Some of us struggling with some stuff right now because three generations ago, somebody did something wrong. We thought, hey, let's get married, it'll fix it. And then we end up bringing that thing in the marriage too. Now it's a struggle in your marriage. Why? Because that stuff changes you. You become one with the sexual immorality that you engage in. It scars you. It reminds me to play Othello by Shakespeare. The antagonist Iago describes a sexual act as Making the beast with two backs. The beast. When we have tempered with and delved into our sexuality without God's protection and others have violated us, abusing or manipulating or hurting our young minds, it produces, maybe not in us only, but like a monster bothering us, right? It creates something beastly and shameful or or destructive like an out-of-control beast in our heart and mind and lives that we want to put a covering or a hood or a mask over or we try to rewrite a four or four J happier, okay, ending out of it. And yet something broken and amalgamated and confused and afraid and, and caricatured and out of control has become our sexuality. And when people look at us or we look at ourselves in the mirror, we are afraid or ashamed. And some of us even ravenous and animalistic in ways God never intended and seeks to protect us from. And what do we do? Man, in Christendom, in church, we hide it. We pave over it. We act good. We act okay. And then we tell people to just act okay. I'm sorry you experienced this. I'm sorry you're sexually broken, but get over it. We stuff our sexuality and its brokenness down, right? And then we try to put a a covering of morality on it. I'm going to let you know again. I'm going to come back to this. Christianity has never been just about morality. And we don't want to know and we don't want others to know. We jekyll and hide it then, right? A a split personality sexually that comes out at night when the internet goes on and no one is looking. Or we walk and hide in the darkness of our text message and emails and we meet up in secret living and growing and spreading sexual brokenness. And like the vampire or, or Lyconic werewolf, we are triggered to passion and action by the sexual moon and darkness, yet we are truly dead inside. And deep down, we want that part of us dead and done with fixed. And we don't know what to do with our, what might have been produced. We feed the beast with darkness. 
and sexual addictions and gender questioning and sexual attraction issues and performance issues and not able to have a healthy sex life and all sorts of broken mental problems and dysfunctions. We give way to the beast. We let it keep us at bay. We let it even keep our Christianity. We let it keep our freedoms with the Lord. We let it punk us, right? We let it put us in the corner. We let it, we let it hurt us and step on us and condemn us and, and squash us and, and pressure us and oppress us. We give in to the brokenness because we can no longer see the beauty. We can no longer see how someone can love us or change us or hold us or be patient with us. So we stay instead of flee. We give in and put an acceptable title on our brokenness and, or, or inconsistencies or things we believe we can't change about ourselves sexually because it is too hard or too painful. Let me let you know, looking at this room, I'm pastoring long enough. All it takes is a few months <laughs> to know every single person in this room is affected or infected with sexual abuse in some way, or sexual brokenness, rather, in some way. Maybe by abuse or ignorance or neglect or misuse or overuse or minimalizing it or trying to moralize it. That's why the Bible says flee sexual immorality. Run. Run. Fuego. Like fire. Get out of there, right? Run away from sexual brokenness. But who can you run to? That's always the question. Y'all need to stop. You need to quit. You need to straighten your life out. You need to stop doing this and stop being this. But where are they going to go? I mean, think about it. Who will take a sexually broken and neglected so-called beast like you and me or, or those who come with their friend, the beast, right, and, and see us beautiful and potent in a good way again? Who would even trust themselves enough to get in a relationship with someone as damaged and confused and even skittish sexually as you and me? Here is the good news. When the Bible calls us to flee sexual immorality, it is calling us and giving us a place of safety and sanctuary to run to in Christ and his church. Did you see the sprinkling of the gospel in these verses? So often we come to this passage and we're like, oh, this is all about being good. No, it ain't. It's all about running for your life. Look beginning at the end here. Look at verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The contrast and metaphor with the temple prostitutes is on purpose here. The Bible is saying, like going to a prostitute, when our broken sexuality is mishandled apart from the Lord's way, we pay. 
and we pay, pay dearly when we do our sexuality on our own. We, we lose more and more, right? To feel and not feel or to fix until all worth is gone and we are empty. But get this. The Bible is saying in verse 20, the Lord has bought us. He has bought our bodies to be the temple he dwells in. Now get ready for this one. In this metaphor of redemption, we are the prostitute. We have been forced, some of us, into or trapped or engaged in making and being the beast, right? Sexually broken. But God sees us and loves us and wants us. And by the blood of Jesus, get this now, buys, broken, used, abused, oversexed, confused sexually and out of control and hopelessly trapped in their sexuality people. God buys broken, confused, and unsure people just like that anyhow. And, and, and then and then it says you who are, who, and then he says I want those people, get this, to be married into my family. I want you to be joined with my son as the bride of Jesus. The prostitute? The beast? The broken? The confused? Those who are unsure they can really do it this time and are not do it this time? Those are the people God is calling to be married to his divine son, Jesus? Look at verse 15. Do you not know? Do you not know, people, that your bodies are members of Jesus, of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to your prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him! Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits and is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The Bible is teaching that Jesus is going to, not just going to, but with joy, going to join himself to those of us who have been broken and become shameful beasts of ourselves. And Jesus comes to make us his beautiful bride. The Lord, the perfect holy God, is looking for and seeking for and finding and loves and wants to be united to a person just like you and me. Just Jesus married the prostitute and the pimp and the sexual victim and perpetrator and traitor and every single one of us. He marries our story. He marries and takes responsibility for our sexual history and everything in the dark and everything that is dead in our bodies and souls will be brought into the light and forgiven and made alive again by his grace. And that is what verse 13 means. We will rise again anew even as those who've been broken sexually 
When we are joined to Jesus, and Jesus is joined to our shame, our disgrace, our abuse, our sexual brokenness, he contracted our STD, our spiritually sexually transmitted disease and brokenness in and on his body. If it applies to us, it applied to Jesus. The Bible says if we join ourselves, Paul says to a prostitute, right, that we become one flesh with her. That we sin against our own body. So what did it mean for Jesus, the perfect Lord, to join himself with you and me? On the cross, bloodied, diseased, grossed, rejected, Jesus took on our sexual history. And he was rejected by God the Father because of our sin. Jesus took on the beast of our sexuality, having joined himself to us sinners so that you and I can be the beauty before God and become more and more the beauty that God and we really want to be, raised to new life in Jesus, no longer living in the death of a sec- like a sexual vampire, but in the light of his word and truth, he will not burn us. But know this, we are not the same if we are Jesus's. And that is why we flee sexual immorality and seek sexual holiness, because in Jesus we can flee. Only, right, only as we are joined to his forgiveness and his love and his gentleness and his intimate touch and his grace and power, only then are we sexually healed and we flee the old us and we run from the image and life of the beast and we run to Jesus again and again to join ourselves to his will to be what he says we should be and what he promises to make us. No longer... A beast trapped in the cage of our own shame and condemnation, but now a beauty freed to love the Lord and enjoy him and enjoy each other. And no, it's not a one-time thing. Yes, we are one-time engaged to be the Lord's, but the Bible is teaching that we flee, and we flee further and further away from this false image of the beast and the offerings of the shameful world, and we run deeper and deeper into and towards the desires and or arms of our Lord, the one who sees and makes the beauty beyond and out of our beast. So let me clear something up. When you hear believers and those around you saying run away from that, that that is not the way you should be living or doing sexuality, understand what is going on. This is not a moral thing of don't be gay or don't be transgendered or stop sleeping around or stop doing porn or stop reading those fantasy novels or watching those movies or dreaming of what a real loving husband or man would be like or to keep going going or to keep going working on your sexual life as a married couple not giving up or stop hating God because you're not having sex right this is not what we're talking about this is not about being good and better like we are. 
Because let me tell you, we ain't good and better necessarily. This is not about not being bad. Because the gospel of Jesus says that we are all bad that we are all sexually neglected and damaged bunch in some way. This is about running with reckless abandon to the only one, the only one, the only one who has his arms open wide in a way that you and I, as bad as we could or would be, can answer God's call of worship, experience God's protection and experience and know God's safety. Flee to him. I'll level with you. Sexual struggle and sexual intimacy issues and at one time pornography and promiscuity, right, it's part of my story. I ain't up here talking to somebody who, who different. I ain't different. I got a body too. And the struggle, even as a pastor and being holy and healed, is still very real. A lot of y'all. So I'm not done living a life of fleeing. I still don't have it all figured out. Sometimes stuff comes from somewhere I don't even see it. I'm running for my sexual life, right? To life, right? But I know how easy it is to hate yourself. That's a testimony now. And I imagine how tired God must be. You think God must be of the same mess. Here you go all over again. And your broken promises and the pain of not being right and the shame of being the world's biggest hypocrite and feeling alone and living in the dark or, so, or like some sort of wild werewolf that carried away by an uncontrollable passion is in danger of, of destroying his family, his ministry, his career, himself. I know just how hard it has been along the way to trust God when it gets bad and hard and heavy and impossible feeling. But you know what? God did not give up and has not given up on me. And though for me, sexual struggles, damage, neglect from my childhood stuff is very real. I found a place. A Lord, a body, a temple, a church a reason and hope to flee and run. And almost like a little child, right? Just hide it. Because the shame is too much. The brokenness is too great. I ain't no therapist. I don't know what's going on with me sometimes. cower under the Lord and he stands strong for me. Sometimes you just have to look your shameful self in that mirror and repeat these words that you see in the text. I'm owned by God. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. I don't care how bad it's gotten or how bad I did it. 
or whether this is the millionth time. Once again, Lord, I flee. I run to you. And the Lord is always there. And I promise, the Bible is promising that no matter what you flee from and run to, Jesus with like you are, his love for our sexual holiness and healing will never run away. He'll never be so ashamed of you that he'd turn away someone running for freedom. He'll never lose hope, even when you do. He'll never give up on us. He'll never falter, never cheat, never take advantage of us, never walk out on us, never seek a cheap thrill instead of us, never go after someone or something better, never expose us to be demeaned, but will hold, heal, Help, kiss, embrace, enjoy, and delight over. He will lift us up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We flee to your grace. We flee. As those who have no other protection on their own. No other answers. We just run to you, Lord. Please, Lord, I pray for your people. Help us not to put our own hands in it and try to fix it in our own power. Lord, I pray for us that we would take seriously the, the abuses and pains and hurts that people have, how potent and powerful and, and life-damaging it can be. Help us, Lord, not to live alone in the dark with these issues. Call us out into the freedom of being your children, of being your beauty, of being your bride. Continue to prepare us, Lord, for that great day when we will walk down the proverbial aisle to meet you. And oh, Lord, regardless of all we've done in our past, Lord, we know and we pray and help us to praise you for this fact. You will leap with joy and dance when you see us coming because we'll be spotless and pure like you like and like we desire to give you. Lord, I pray for this sensitive issue. I pray for the conversations that will happen. I pray for all that was not said or it may have been said carelessly in this very touchy situation. Cover it with grace Cover the imperfections in human beings talking about this stuff, pastor or not. Cover it with your grace. 
Give us all humility in approaching this situation with ourselves, with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, with those who have chosen, Lord, to, to, to live in a different way, a different lifestyle, a different way of thinking. Give us humility and grace in engaging people, knowing the kind of people Christ has decided to love in us. Lord, we need your power. Only your power can change us. We need it. Lord, we thank you that even today when we leave, we will not be the same because we've been rejoined to your truth, rejoined and united with your gospel. And just like our bodies are affected when we deal in sexual immorality, Lord, I pray for a miracle of the body and mind for those out here. Lord, I pray that as they hear this word of truth today, that their minds and bodies would be redeemed by Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would go where there are scars and hurts and pains where even in their own bodies, Lord, they can still feel what was wrong and bad or what happened to them or what they did. And I pray, Lord, that those places would be healed by your grace. In our bodies, Lord, let us no longer feel dirty. But let us know the, your clean, your redemption every single place. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.